Welcome to Attached, a podcast about the loved ones we're attached to and the good, the bad, and the ugly advice about those relationships that maybe we shouldn't be so attached to. We here at Attached want to share the ways to enhance your relationships and debunk bad relationship advice using science. Science. (laughs) I'm Dr. Patricia Robertson out of the University of Tennessee, College of Nursing, and the Department of Psychology with a PhD in Child and Family Studies. I'm Dr. Jacob Bird Priest uh, from the (laughs) University of Iowa Couple and Family Therapy Program, and I have a PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy. And I'm Dr. Sarah Woods out of Dallas, Texas. I have a PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy, and I'm Assistant Professor and Director of Behavioral Health in Family and Community Medicine. This episode, we're going to talk about some current events in pop culture, specifically that wonderful show, Schitt's Creek. I mean, Creek. (laughs) Um, Then we're going to break down an academic article called Gay, Lesbian, and Heterosexual Couples About to Begin Couples Therapy. And last but not least, we're going to discuss relationship advice, specifically regarding Netflix cheating. Interesting. But before we get to all that, it's been two weeks, you guys. How's everybody doing? I'm I'm doing pretty good. It's finally fall in Iowa. We finally left the 80 degrees. It started to be a little bit crisp in the air. We're going to buy some pumpkins this week. Have a Halloween party. It's going to be October's a good month in Iowa. Quick quick question. Quick question. Will any corn be involved? (laughs) I I would like to have you know that there's actually... That Iowa, yes, we do produce more corn than any other state and a lot of other countries in the world, but we also <laughs> have a lot of pigs. We no. actually have more, more pigs than people in Iowa, just in case, you know, a little bit of information you want. Wow. In case our listeners are going to stereotype you for corn, nay, yeah. remember the pigs. Really selling it. Really selling that <laughs> Iowa is a destination location. what about you woods we already bought our pumpkins and because we prefer them to melt outdoors while it's still 100 degrees (laughs) Uh, we also bought mums Uh, this was last sunday so it has been about a week and the mums are dead no no uh, all of them but i so quickly so fast but i i mean it's been super super hot it doesn't really rain and also we were out of town the last few days so i blame it on natural causes natural causes nothing to do with you at all right (laughs) not me me. that's awesome i just got over a cold so i am just happy to be talking to you guys and not hacking up a lung yeah all is well here been enjoying the fall as well enjoying outside and finally cooled off actually today on friday or thursday i think it like a couple of days ago it got up to like 97 here in tennessee In October, it was wild. So anyway, I'm very, very thankful for the cool weather we had today. Much, much appreciated. Anyway, as we are celebrating fall, uh, you guys ready to get into it? Let's do it. Absolutely. Our lives and relationships are impacted by things in our surroundings. We know this, whether that's locally, nationally, or culturally. So for this first segment, we take a moment to highlight the cultural events and pop culture that may influence the people's lives, may influence us, and uh, how we view relationships. Jacob, what you got on the docket for us this week? So we're taking a small break from <laughs> our, our deep dive into <laughs> Reality television. Oh, uh, thank don't God. 
They'll be back next. But we're going to talk about <laughs> scripted television this week and a show that all three of us love. As oh, my gosh. Earlier, Schitt's Creek. Woo! And the crowd goes wild! Yay! So, for those of you who haven't watched Schitt's Creek, first of all, I recommend you do it because season five, which <gasps> I believe I'm the only one of the three of us that hasn't watched it yet, it's dropped true. on Netflix. Ah. This week, I believe, on the 10th of October, the 8th of October, oh. something like that. Something like that. I don't remember. Well, check your people, yeah, check your Netflix listings. <laughs> check your local <laughs> listings. Is that what you just said? I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> yep, because we're living in 1995. <laughs> so, a little bit of background on Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek follows the Rose family. Mm. The Rose family were multi-millionaires who ended up losing everything when their financial guru planner guy stole everything from them. And so they have to move to this town. Right. Called and Shits. yes, the town's called Shit's Creek. And for people who have maybe not listened to this, fear not. Everything that Jacob just said happens in episode one. These are not spoilers. Yes. And we're not going to give any spoilers because... You should all watch it, especially Definitely. if you're interested in comedy, good comedy. And <laughs> if you enjoy dynamic. laughing, do you like laughing and entertainment broadly? Yeah. So Schitt's Creek was recently nominated for a few Emmy Awards. Oh and gosh. as such, a writer at The Atlantic on their culture talks about the relationship between the patriarch and matriarch of the Rose family, mm. Johnny and Moira. Moira. And they are hilarious. But the best. one of the things that I love about, about their relationship is how it's portrayed differently than we typically see older couples' relationships portrayed. So let me read from this Atlantic article, which we will link to. And then I kind of want to discuss some research around this and some other stuff. So... This is about halfway through the article. But Shit's Creek Johnny Rose showers Moira in adoration. He gathers their children around the telephone to wish her well on her first day of shooting. He admonishes them not to touch her wigs because he knows the <laughs> hair pieces matter to her. Even in moments of suspicion, <laughs> even in moments of suspicion, Moira regards him with nearly unwavering amusement and affection. They laugh loudly and often. They are far more committed to each other than they are to their adult children far more content to luxuriate in their romance and to see themselves as parents first. Johnny and Moira's refreshing dynamic pays off for viewers, especially given how rare it is for shows to depict an older couple facing life's troubles that aren't, as O'Hara recently noted in Los Angeles Times, just about death, divorce, and disease. Mm. So what I love about Moira and Johnny Rose, and please all of you chime in here. Yes, 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 yes. We yes, will. Yes, yeah. is, is this idea that theirs is their an older couple, but the way their relationship is portrayed, I think reflects reality. Couples who have been together a long time and who've sustained uh, that type of loving, connected relationship, they're able to have, I think, that passion, that commitment to their relationship first, even more so than their children, which really is different than we stereotype typically think about older couples. Yes. Typically when we think about older couples, it's that the passion has gone. They're really good friends. And for some, that's what a relationship might look like. But in my class this past week, in my couples therapy class, we were reading an article about people who had been in long-term relationships 10 years or more. And they wanted to see if those people who said that they were love, in love after being in a relationship for 10 years had similar brain scans to people who just fell newly. Mm. And what they actually found was 
that all of those same parts of their brain lit up when they, of those, you know, of the people who were just newly in love and the people who'd been together 10 years or more, some of them even 30. But those people who'd begin the longer, they also see these attachment and pair bonding parts of the brain light up too. Yes. So it suggests that love in those relationships can stay alive a long time, but it's also bolstered by the sense of attachment and commitment to the relationship. And what I love about Johnny and Moira is though they're committed to each other throughout the episodes, throughout the seasons of Schitt's Creek, they each go and invest in their own lives and things they like yes. to do, which I think is a key also in yeah. maintaining that type of love throughout yeah. the life course. I love it. Right. And they're comfortable with each other. They actually can tease each other and comfort each other. It's everything. And I love how seriously we're talking about this relationship when it's so freaking hilarious, too. So funny. <laughs> it, is. it is. Like, I, that's the other reason why I love them, because they are so ridiculous. Yeah, right? that's true. They, the actors that play them are so funny, and it's just really fun to watch. I mean, the whole family does, the whole community does, and it's really, really worth the watch. But like I said, it also portrays this sense of romantic love that's not just about we meet, we lock eyes, we get married, and then we live Lust. happily ever after. Yeah. It really shows how older couples can live, quote unquote, happily ever after. Yeah, and they do it brilliantly too. I also really love like the multiple instances of how like even though they've been together for so long, their gift giving still goes awry. Like that they, they're trying, like they still have missed opportunities for a connection or like the, the whole episode where he's trying to like have a garden named after her. Oh, yeah. Yes. Her, like got renamed and it ends up getting named like the Moira's Roses Garden 4856. Like after <laughs> the last four digits of it. It's extra for the apostrophes. And it's the whole, it, they're so sweet about it. Um, oh my God. It's, they're just. Yeah. Fantastic. It's really, I really love it. So. Yes. I cannot wait for you, Jacob, to watch season five. I'm really excited for season five to drop. But also for you reality television lovers out there, <gasps> I got a specific request to watch a reality show that I have not yet and talk about it here on Attached. Who did so, that? Uh, who, who do we need to hunt down? Who is that? <laughs> Molly and Glenn. Shout out Whoa. to Molly and Glenn. Um, I will find um, you, Molly and Glenn. <laughs> And I am going to, uh, Chelsea and I, we are going to start watching Temptation Island. And that will be the next discussion for the culture segment of the Attack Podcast. Get ready, get ready for it. Culture. The most recent episode of SNL had a sketch about Love yes. Island. And the only thing I could think about <laughs> was you and this pop culture segment, how you somehow translated it into reality television solely. Um, and it's pretty much what I imagine you dedicate your time watching to and then somehow translating it into the science-based podcast. <laughs> uh, not necessarily. I just finished uh, the first season of Euphoria. Have you ever heard of that on HBO? Oh. No. Uh, talk about some dark, intense relationships, family relationships. Uh, and also, the, like, this shouldn't be funny. But one of the later episodes, the lead character, um, who's really depressed, stays in her room and watches 22 episodes back to back to back of Love Island. So <laughs> it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even Apparently. in TV like HBO. I just finished uh, re-watching 
it took me two months, so I don't think I did this over the weekend, but rewatching all four seasons of Outlander. Oh, wow. Talk oh, about uh, older couple loving each other, super hardcore. A very different w- version of older couples in Outlander. And oh my, do they love each other, you know? <laughs> Outlander. I just oh, want to clarify uh, for, for listeners that Chips Creek Season 5 drops on October 10 on Netflix. <laughs> I wanted to wrap up with <laughs> but I just want to make sure our listeners know that if they're also in Season 5, no spoilers like Jacob, October 10. No spoilers. But yeah, check out Shit's Creek. Check out how Johnny and Moira love each other and take some, take some lessons from them. Yeah, take some lessons from them. I like that. I like it. Thank you, Jacob. You're welcome. Now we're going to move to academic deep dive segment. Today we're going to talk about a new paper recently published in the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy, Gay, Lesbian, and Heterosexual Couples About to Begin Couples Therapy, an online relationship assessment of 40,681 couples, which is a a huge ginormous amount like that's incredible this piece was written by john and julie gottman carrie cole and melissa preciado all out of the gottman institute which i believe is in seattle washington as always the link to the article is available in this episode's description and we're going to post it on twitter as well and if you haven't go check out the gottman institute online they do some amazing relationship research. It's always a really excellent go-to source. So a little bit of background on this article um, before Sarah uh, takes off. So the authors first suggest that thoroughly assessing relationships before intervening is something that couples therapists rarely do, which means that they miss really, really important things like sexual problems and uh, or domestic violence, really serious things. They also suggest we don't know enough about what same-sex couples come to therapy for and whether it's for anything different than heterosexual couples, which means we may not know what will work best for these couples in therapy. So Sarah, these researchers really want us to learn more about who goes into couples therapy. So how do they try and figure that out? Great question. Uh, so if I also had done a study of uh, almost 41,000 couples, it would also probably be in the title of my paper. <laughs> um, <laughs> so out the gate, they're telling me something about. They're like, look what we did. Yeah, look right. at us. And you know what? I'm applauding them. Like, that's right. That's Read amazing. further. That's right. Um, So these researchers used, uh, developed an online set of questionnaires that helped to create relationship profiles. They called this group of measures the relationship checkup. And it has five different areas that it assesses for. Uh, That includes friendship and intimacy, conflict management, which includes also specific conflict areas like problems with extended family, infidelity, housework, childcare, et cetera. Um, And shared meaning, which includes feeling supported in roles, having shared goals, trust, commitment, um, as well as some other specifics about relationships like global happiness, potential for divorce, um, and related issues like childhood trauma, trauma in the family, drug and alcohol use, and violence in the relationship. Um, So the goal of the relationship checkup measure that they create and then spend a lot of time in this paper talking about the development of is to be used by couples therapists to assess clients before beginning therapy. So they have a website that therapists can join 
the therapist will set up a couple and then each partner in a couple will be invited to the site to privately each fill out this mm. giant assessment, okay. which takes about one and a half to two hours per person. So they can save their work as they go. They can come back if they want to. And then after both and only if both partners complete every item of every questionnaire, wow. the therapist gets, yes, the therapist then gets a final summary report, which provides both some overall, um, uh, overall descriptions of the dynamics of the relationship and highlights what are some strengths versus challenges that each partner might have reported, um, as well as some recommendations for therapy, for treatment. Uh, so therefore, they have no missing data, meaning the therapists do not get the summary report if every item is not completed. Right. Um, they, can, they also say you can take this, these measures, these collection measures, over again, over time, so that therapists can track their couple's progress through therapy. Okay. Yep, exactly right. So um, they said they reported that about 12,000 therapists are currently signed up to use Relationship Checkup, this website and this collection of measures, which means about 3,800 couples per month currently take the questionnaires. So over a not very long span of time, um, they have this current sample, which is almost 41,000 couples. So to look at what we're going to talk about here today, they took this giant collection of couples and split them in half. They used the first half to test everything mm. that they wanted to look at the first time about what, what these couples are coming to therapy for and what was looking problematic for them. And then they used the second half of this sample to test it again to see if those findings would replicate, if they would um, happen, occur again similarly with the right. second half of the sample. And that's really common in really well-done research is to be able to replicate something or repeat it. I'm sure people have heard in the uh, the news this replication problem in psychology in, in general that these uh, big studies uh, are not you find these amazing things, but people aren't able to replicate them. So the fact that this paper did it within the paper is remarkable and notable. Yep. Yep. So yes, doesn't happen so often, but really a common concern. Yeah. Yeah. And really bolsters the findings here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when they look at the the sample of this huge number of couples, they have a really nice um, combination of heterosexual couples, uh, gay male couples, and lesbian couples. But overall, their sample's pretty educated and economically advantaged. So they, across these different um, sexual orientations, they have, I think, an average salary of about 130000 140000 household income. Um, they've completed college. They're, they're pretty um, well sample. Which is kind of what we find in couples therapy in general, right? Well, it tends to be somewhat better off people who are able to seek and afford their a couples therapy specifically. And that's definitely something that they suggest at the end is that um, if this sample is representative of couples broadly that are beginning couples therapy, then couples therapy in general is probably not accessing a very wide Right. People, meaning we're not probably offering couples therapy as well to lower income and less educated couples. So, of course, they don't know if this sample specifically is of all couples looking for couples therapy, but it is a huge number of people, a huge number of dyads. I mean, it's a it's a huge sample. Um, so what they found was dark. <laughs> oh, no. 
over 80% of all of their couples about to enter therapy have serious problems and they house them in serious problems with both conflict and intimacy. So mm. overall, about 80 to 83% of all of the couples had serious problems with romance and sex and about 97% of couples felt flooded during conflict. Um, which so talk to is- me real quick about what flooding is. Yeah, so to kind of get at this, and I think maybe Sarah will back up a little bit. So Gottman's research, he started in Indiana in like the 1970s, right? The University of Indiana, John Gottman. And he wanted to figure out like what makes for good relationships, what keeps people together, what makes people get divorced. Mm-hmm. And so he started bringing couples into what he called his love lab that he had in, when he moved to the University of Washington, a little bit in Indiana, where he would come and they would, he'd film them for 24 hours and then um, he would follow up with them five, 10 years or whatever later. Uh, and so one of the things that he found that was predictive of couples getting divorced was this idea of flooding. And flooding is when you are in conflict or when you are arguing with your partner, um, you get so emotionally aroused that you can no longer hold a conversation, talk to somebody in a meaningful mm-hmm. way. It's almost like you just get overcome with emotion. Yeah, and your heart rate goes up too, right? And heart rate goes up. Pounding. Mm-hmm. It's it's basically kind of like a fight or flight fight response. Or flight. Yeah. yeah. And and when you get to that point, any type of conversation you're going to try to have is not going to be productive just because you are so overcome with these physiological emotional mm-hmm. sensations. Your brain actually shuts off functioning to that part yes. of the brain that can think logically and um, process things, your frontal lobe. So yeah. you literally, it's not a matter of want. It's actually, you literally can't. Yeah. And so what they did in order to develop this collection of measures was that they used questionnaires, obviously, if you're going to have an online website, but they um, cross-referenced it with results from um, interviews that they did with couples, uh, video recorded observations of couples that were coded, um, all kinds of other ways of looking at couples to uh, evaluate how these self-report items were connected or associated with other ways of measuring and understanding couples. So flooding is one of those kinds of things that you can get at that by observation, you can get at that by interviewing couples, but they, they specifically use questionnaire items. So they looked at both psychological and physiological flooding with items like I feel attacked when my partner gets angry, which is, as Jacob's described, this kind of fight or flight response. Um, So what they were saying is almost all couples beginning therapy report serious problems with getting flooded during Um, which is probably not something that's, that's a term that's really kind of, um, uh, specific to, I, w- I mean, I would say that probably the Gottman, um, the Gottman couples people are using the term flooding more than probably other types of couples therapists. Um, but I would say probably not something we're assessing very regularly for before the start of therapy. Mm-hmm. It's something that we usually kind of wait uh, and see how that happens or how that plays out and then try to slow couples down. But this is saying, um, in their sample anyways, almost everybody presents already saying, I've got, I know I've got problems with this. I feel attacked. I feel dysregulated. I feel um, out of control. Um, so what was, um, they break this down a lot more. And so rather than kind of spend a lot of time, uh, this is my preference anyways, rather than spend a lot of time describing the details of how they created the measure, which they yeah. spent pages and pages doing. And for people interested, they should definitely download this study um, because it has a lot of detail about each of the measures in this giant two-hour collection. Um, But I'll just kind of run through, I think, more interestingly what their results were about what they found about couples who are 
presenting a couples therapy, beginning couples therapy. So a big, huge finding here is that wives coming to couples therapy are, quote, overwhelmingly more distressed than their husbands in heterosexual relationships. Wow. And I'm going to give you, there's, they have very long lists of all, and tables of all of the ways in which wives are way more distressed and reporting more problems. I'm going to give you a smattering. Okay. <laughs> um, they're less happily married. They're more divorce prone. They're, uh, they score lower on fondness and admiration. They score lower in romantic satisfaction. They score lower in the quality of sex, the frequency of sex. They're more lonely. They have uh, less trust. They have less commitment. It is a sad, giant list of things. So this is lower and less than their husband. Yes. Okay. They, um, they report more criticism, more defensiveness. These are also kind of uh, Gottman terms. Um, so he houses these kinds of things in the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, is, right. which is something that he's been talking about for a while, that the Gottmans have been talking about for a while, and so people may have heard these terms. But these are different um, tactics that partners can use when they're interacting with each other um, and are really very problematic when we see these kinds of things. Um, right. These researchers argue that they're huge risk factors for separation. Um, right, which is why he calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the apocalypse yeah. being divorce. They're these four yes. big uh, characteristics of relationships that if seen are highly mm -hmm. predictive of divorce. Yeah. Yep. Why is you reporting more of all of those? Mm -hmm. um, they're more flooded as we just talked about earlier. They compromise less. They're less likely to repair um, and try to fix things once an argument is already going on. Um, wives also report more traumatic family histories. Uh, they have greater, they report greater severity of every single specific area of conflict that they assess. They report less shared meaning, greater frequency of alcohol and drug abuse. They Can report you tell me more. what is less shared meaning? So that was that area earlier that I just kind of tried to briefly discuss, but this idea that they have rituals and traditions that uh. they like at the end of the day, when we come back together and we reunite, that's an, that's usually a positive time, an opportunity to connect with each other. Okay. So they have they less feel, of that. They have less of that, less okay. of feeling supported in the different roles that they have. Like they have shared meaning in the relationship in terms of values and goals. Um, and so there were a few areas where husbands reported more concern. They reported that they, um, when they begin an argument, they tend to be, um, there tends to be in the relationship a little bit more of a negative kind of introduction to that conversation. It's kind of out of the gate. They say it's kind of angry. They report more situational domestic violence, which is um, usually kind of both partners are participating in that and they, it comes up more in conflict and less, um, uh, usually less violent, usually less severe, but um, sometimes a little bit more frequent. Um, and uh, they report more experiences of being publicly humiliated, which is an example of emotional abuse. And that's the long list for husbands. <laughs> so Aww. really, and really, I, I really, even though that sounds like a massive list for wives, I cut out a lot of ways that they are saying they scored higher. Um, and then they looked at things according to sexual orientation. So this is a long list also that I'm going to just um, say a little briefer, but same-sex couples starting therapy were in general in, quote, much better shape than heterosexual couples, meaning a greater percentage of them were happier, a smaller percentage of them had problems with admiring one another, they felt more satisfied with romance, they felt more supported in roles and um, issues related to children, etc. Um, trust was more of a common issue for gay couples couples and heterosexual couples, and then for heterosexual couples than lesbian couples, which was a similar pattern for um, couples presenting with an affair that was more common for gay couples than 
et cetera. Mm. Um, and a greater percentage of same-sex couples reported trauma in their childhood, serious problems with drugs and alcohol, anxiety, experiencing physical symptoms that are sometimes um, indicative of psychological distress, which we would call somatization, um, which so they suggest there may be some unique issues that we might want to consider for uh, same-sex couples entering couples therapy. Yeah. Uh, so I had introduced the idea that these findings were dark um, before I kind of ran through them. Um, but uh, I don't think that they skirt that issue either. Meaning after all of this kind of all of these numbers and all of this measurement science are introduced, their conclusion is also that couples entering therapy are way worse off than we thought they were. Oh, uh, interesting. So, and I, that was my reaction looking at these numbers that they are serious and severe and not even talking about like the 97% of couples that are flooded, but uh, a quarter to a third of couples are at risk of suicide. I mean, Oh really? The the span of what they've captured and what they've assessed here is incredibly broad. And I would say even if you're a couples therapist, even if you're a therapist that is actually using quantitative measures up front before you start treatment, which I think is actually pretty rare, there's no way you're assessing for all of these things. Their tables span pages and pages, and I have been doing this a while, and I was pretty surprised. And they themselves include statements in here like, we were surprised by these findings. Um, so I think if, they're, if couples entering therapy are this badly off, their question and my reaction, do we even know how to help them? Oh, interesting. Uh, meaning some of what they suggest is that our, a, lot of the, a lot of studies that have been done about therapy and how therapy is most effective have been done using university-based samples, which makes sense. Researchers looking at this stuff are often housed in academic settings and have the wherewithal and um, the career need to produce this research. Um, they're suggesting that, for example, their current sample has scale scores so far below the mean that when compared to samples for which we've studied the effectiveness of couples therapy that are only slightly below the mean, oh. maybe, we may be able to help those couples with that therapy and show that therapy is effective. But is it remotely possible that our, is our therapy effective enough to help all of the couples that have popped that have popped up as the right term that it flooded their website yeah into the city 41,000 couples is a lot of people um and so I think um as we said earlier I if this is representative of all couples seeking therapy we're probably not doing a great job um offering that kind of resource to all kinds of couples but also are we doing a very good job of serving the couples that are coming because well and we don't know the answer because did they this is not like a follow-up right they nope. just no nope. have we don't know if people are improving and maybe maybe they are hopefully they are but it it does sound like people when they present to couples therapy they are at is it's a usually a last resort right we know that couples therapy people have tried all sorts of things and it's usually the last resort and looking at these it definitely looks like it's the last resort for a lot of these couples you know short of divorce um or separation yeah and this ranks really true for yeah, me too because i just had three new couples started my practice over the last month. Mm. And when you ask and assess for what's going on with them, um, like on the surface level, and 
I don't know if this is y'all's experience too with when working with couples. Whenever I ask a couple what brought them to therapy, they're always going to say we have communication issues, right? Always. Nine times out of 10. And the thing is, is if you look at these that are 90%, like flooding, most people would describe that as a communication issue. Yes. When we start to talk, I get overwhelmed. When we talk yes. about the four horsemen, when we start to talk, we just start criticizing. We start getting defensive. We start being contemptuous. And then we just pull away from each other and shut down, right? And even these, as Sarah was talking about, these harsh startups or this idea that when you bring up a topic of conversation, you're already on the attack. Yeah. Those, I mean, that's what couples describe. And what this says to me is it is really dark that there are some couples that are really struggling out there. And also this isn't even capturing those that may not have the financial ability to go to couples therapy, right. which if you have all of this stuff and then are stressed out about money, right. housing, food insecurity, and other things is really difficult. And I think Sarah brought up a really great point in terms of typically when we do research, we're not looking at couples that are this severe. But one thing we do know from research is that if people go to couples therapy, they tend to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to improve meta-analyses, which are basically a study that pulls data from lots of studies suggests 67% of people improve from couples therapy. But I think that this raises more red flags to me of saying, hey, as Sarah said, the people we're recruiting into these studies aren't nearly as distressed yeah. as the ones that the Gottmans and their colleagues are reporting in this study. For me, it says people should be going to couples therapy way earlier than when they way show earlier. Up. Yeah. Way, way earlier. earlier. Yep. Cause they're not right. self-selecting I, into taking this assessment. They have a therapist who's using this mm-hmm. website, signs them up because they reached out for help. Absolutely. I think that's an important takeaway is that yeah. before you actually get to couples therapy is when you should have been in couples therapy. Right. Well, so my, one of my mentors for my undergraduate program, Randy Chatlin, who was a couples therapist forever. Shout he out Randy. Refer- Randy, he's retired now, but uh. he's a really, really cool dude. Anyway, um, he would always refer to his practice as the emergency room of relationships. Mm-hmm. Like literally the relationship is on the table and sometimes you're just trying to shock it back to life because it has been so, so neglected, so so stressed out, so hurt for so long. And that's exactly what we're seeing here, but in, in numbers form and not necessarily in the, in the um, wonderful visual of a yeah. emergency room form. But yeah, um, yeah. I, so here are the couple of take homes, I think. Um, one, like you were saying, Sarah, like don't wait so long to go to therapy. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to therapy. If you can afford it, just go have a little, have a little checkup, make sure everything's going well, you're communicating well, it's a, it's a good idea to do. And the other thing too, that kind of came to mind is, you know, in addition, don't be afraid to go to therapy. If you're worried that maybe a therapist is going to think that you're a lost cause, you are probably not nearly there at all. Uh, when I look at these findings, mm. you know what I mean? Like, mm. don't even worry about, They've heard about how am I compared to other couples because you got this, just, just go for it. Mm-hmm. They've heard, they've heard it all. They've heard it all. Yeah. And more. I also, I also think it's reasonable when you're doing research about a couple's therapist that might be a good fit. 
to oh. ask questions about, do you use any assessment measures upfront? How will you track our progress? How yes. will you make decisions or talk with us about how we're doing? And also if a couple therapist isn't a fit, it's absolutely something that you should do to do research on other couple therapists that might be a fit, that every therapist is not a fit for every client. Um, and I think what, um, and this is anecdotal more so, I mean, I don't know that we know this from research, but I think what can happen is that um, for, we see couples or families kind of drop out of therapy early on. It's probably unlikely that they went and found another therapist. They probably just went and experienced a little bit of relief or weren't really a fit with the person in front of them and then went out into the world to try to continue to live like this. But this is, um, this is a pretty sad, awful way to live the way they're describing these couples. And so finding another therapist and asking for help doing that, which is something that you should consider. You should make sure that the person in front of you is a fit and is qualified to do what they're yes. doing. And if you're a couples therapist, expanding the use of assessment measures to really capture a broad relationship profile. I myself have not used this website that the Gottmans are referring to um, with their relationship checkup collection of measures. But um, so I'm certainly not uh, advertising that one specifically, but if, if you're not sure which ones to use, that could be a resource. And regardless, probably just using a collection of variety of things would be better than using nothing. Yep. And can I add to this too, is if and when you are looking for a couples therapist, look for a couple of things. First, a licensed marriage and family therapist, because those are the ones that are going to be specifically trained in family therapy. If they don't have that LMFT degree, that's okay too, but look for those who have had specific training in therapy. So there are going to be people who will put on their website that they are a Gottman certified therapist or what we call emotionally focused therapy for couples certified therapists. And those types of people are going to have an empirical basis to their practice of couples therapy. And so just something to look for when you're searching for a therapist. But I would 100% echo to what Sarah said. It's okay to shop around for a therapist yes. of saying, I want to see if we're going to be a fit. And if we're not, if it doesn't feel right after one session, go to another one. And most therapists will say, that makes sense to me. Do that. If you this doesn't going to be a fit, let's find you a place that want to be fit. Because really, it, it is it, most therapists want you to get better. I would hopefully say all therapists want yes. you to get better. But uh, it's okay to shop around. It's okay to test drive a couple of therapists before you land with one. Absolutely. And if a therapist gets upset because you're doing that, they're probably not the therapist for you. Exactly. Well, any other take homes before we move on? Well, also, John Gottman has, they just have a new book called Eight Dates. It's really great. And so if you're not at this place where you're really stressed out, but you want to continue to enhance your relationship, go read the book, go on those eight dates. Like we don't want people to get to this point where right. they're flooded, angry, they're potentially suicidal or so. Oh my gosh. So, Take time for your relationships, value those, and put effort into them. You want your relationship to look like Moira and Johnny Rose. Yes. And so that is going to require being intentional about it. Or some may say Jamie and Claire Fraser. <laughs> oh, or some might say, I mean, Hashtag don't, we all want the sexual, <laughs> don't we all want the uh, sexual passion of Jamie and uh, Claire, right? Yeah, they're struggling Woo! less with that intimacy. <laughs> 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 Finally time for good or bad advice, where we talk about pervasive relationship advice about friends, family, and romantic partners. Did your grandparents have a saying about love and marriage? 
Did your parents give you advice about friendships or romantic relationships? Did you have a friend or romantic partner who said something about love and family that you thought was odd or maybe struck you as poignant? This is the section of the show where we talk about that advice and decide if it's good or bad advice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the audience there. As always... (laughs) As always, if you've heard or read some advice you want us to talk about, or if you want us to talk about advice on a topic, send it to us. You can leave us a message at, and this is a new phone number, 865-229-6775. You can email us at attachedpodcast at gmail.com, tweet us at attachedpodcast, or visit our website, attachedpodcast.com. Also, when you're at the website, there's a contact us link, and you can email us there, too, if that's how you want to talk to us. Hey, listen, we're happy. We'll accept it all. While you're at it, please like and subscribe to our podcast and leave us a comment. We're forever curious about what you think. So so this week, uh, we had a <laughs> listener talk to us on Twitter. They talked to us on Twitter, because that's how the Twitter works. They talked to us on Twitter, and they wanted us to talk about Netflix cheating. Is it really a big deal? Let's talk about it. So what is Netflix cheating? When I was talking to Jacob and Sarah about this, they're like, what in the world is Netflix cheating? I'm like, let me tell you. So I looked it up on Urban Dictionary, and Urban Dictionary says Netflix cheating is when you're Netflixing together with a partner, Um, on a TV series. Yeah, they use Netflixing as a verb, whatever. Um, And you watch an episode or episodes while the other partner is out. This creates an awkward situation, according to Urban Dictionary, where you have to decide if the other party now has to watch the episodes by themselves or skip ahead to catch you up or if you even tell them. So that's Netflix cheating. Basically, you're watching a show with your partner and you skip ahead. I am 100% guilty of this. So according to research from Netflix, of course, 40% of couples who watch Netflix together have actually cheated and watched shows without their partners. Also, Jennifer Still at Business Insider said that her Netflix cheating has affected her relationships. So Netflix cheating is actually impactful on relationships according to Jennifer, in the following ways. One, she accidentally revealed spoilers to her partner. She ended up, I know. Secondly, she ended up watching totally different things than her partner. Third, get embarrassed when your partner sees what you've watched. Dun, dun, dun. And, and I think this is really most telling to this entire article that Jennifer wrote. Um, but one consequence of her Netflix cheating is that she just feels ahead of the curve, culturally speaking. That seems a little condescending. <laughs> I was surprised she put that in there. But anyway, I'm kind of poking fun. But it is a ge- genuine feeling that people feel. They want to go ahead of their partner in the series, but they feel guilty about it. So the question is, what do you do about this Netflix cheating? So clearly there are some real and maybe perceived consequences of Netflix cheating. What can we do about it? Here is some advice that Mashable put together um, that I want our amazing marriage and family therapist to tell us if it is good or bad advice. After I read this article, I realized that I'm not a Netflix cheater, but I'm a Netflix shamer. Oh my. (laughs) That sounds worse. Tell us more. (laughs) I got 
So, so Chelsea and I will start watching a show together. And then, like, she loses interest after, like, three or four episodes consistently. <laughs> Unless it's, like, The Bachelor or Love Island or something like that. I feel so, like you're definitely throwing your wife right under the bus. Like, anytime I, I watch anything heady, Chelsea is just not into it. Oh, I'm not saying it's heady. I'm not <laughs> okay. saying it's heady. All I'm saying is that... I do hear well, that after like a month of not like watching the show i'll be like so are you gonna want to watch this show anymore or can i just keep going by myself and typically she'll be like what i'm like it'll be okay i know you're not into it and she's like i just don't want to watch it and i was like well then i'll just watch it and so i kind of shame her a little bit into letting myself go forward anyway that's oh to make yourself feel better you should you should you're a netflix shamer i see sarah do you have a do you have a uh, title of your relationship in terms of Netflix? I don't. I'm far less devoted. I'm. I'm. Um, I'm getting shamed. I'm the <laughs> of the shame. Oh my gosh! You're. A- I end up. I end up more shamed into like you need to get back into this. I thought this was our thing. I'm like, <laughs> it's just, but it's not though. Like I don't. Game of Thrones was an example of like we watched the first episode and then he was like, oh, obviously we need to keep going, and I was like. No, that's incredibly too dark for me. It's a lot of <laughs> gratuitous incest. I'm not into it. <laughs> wait, wait, you're not into incest? That's so weird. <laughs> Just episode one of the gate, really strong no for me. I got <laughs> that. It's also technically um, how Shit's Creek happened in the house. And yes. Patricia recommended that show at Jacob's wedding <laughs> and Jesse was like, we're going to do it. We're going to do it right. And then all of a sudden he's like, just so you know, I watched two seasons. I was like, I'm to watch him again. This sucks to be you. Uh, which he- That's so funny. Um, you just, you just aired our em- enmeshment to all of pod world. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's out there. <laughs> all right. Anyway, back to this advice. Are you guys ready for it? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Uh, Advice number one, pick two shows you're currently watching together. So we recommend, we being this article, you sit down with your significant other every month and determine which two shows you were officially watching together at the moment. So I just think that seems like a lot for Netflix, right? Like if you have to have like a sit down conversation about these are our two shows and these are the two shows we watched this month. And this is us. Like, I just feel like, Hey, do you want to watch this show? Maybe this is because I'm a Netflix streamer, but I feel like <laughs> the intensity of this level is a lot for me. And I just feel like are that you serious? makes it bad advice. Yeah. I, as the person receiving the shaming, I do not think this is bad advice. I <laughs> actually, at first I heard it, I was like, that's stupid. And then I was like, oh, actually, I'm pretty sure we do that in my house. <laughs> reg- Jesse will regularly check in about like, all right, so it's Parks and Rec in the office, right? Like, we're still doing those two. So permission to go on and do other things. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely granted. But also when I think about the research that shows how little time couples, once they're established, devote to working on their relationship, is it such a bad idea to suggest that they have intentional conversations about a really yes. good time? I don't think okay. that's Okay. Sarah is the okay. winner. Sarah is the winner. Sarah <laughs> is the winner. Sarah is the winner. <laughs> a lot of dance moves that don't translate into <laughs> auditory medium however 
They're amazing. Um, quick question, Jacob. Are like, you interested in changing your advice status? I just feel like this is suggesting like an open Netflix relationship. And if people are com- comfortable with that type of relationship, <laughs> they should totally pursue it. But for me and my house, we will choose monogamy. Oh, Jesus. Shaving. What? Shaving. Wow. Oh my God. I see it play out. Oh, goodness. Do we need to get Chelsea in here? Like, no, I'm just actually. So, so, no. First of all, open relationships are wonderful. If people want to engage in them, have great conversations and do that. No shame (laughs) for open relationships. All right. We're an advocate for one. Second, second. Again, I'm still going to say, like, if you have to, like, it's good to sit down and have conversations about important things. Like, go on Gottman's, one of Gottman's eight dates. I don't think you need to have an intentional conversation about Netflix shows. I'm going to stand on that. I'm just going right. to stand on You're, that's, that's you. I think it would be, it's a, you know, it's always important to exercise your ability to communicate effectively. So you don't want to only use your communication skills for the, the really, really critical things. You want to exercise them in maybe more B conversations. So maybe this would be an example. Ladies and gentlemen, I think um, the attached crew here is definitely split down on the middle here on advice number one. Shall we move to advice number two? We should. Okay. Advice number two, pick your solo shows to keep yourself out of trouble. Designate a couple of backup shows you get to watch on your own time. Again, these should be chosen and clearly communicated because we know communication is important here beforehand. No assuming that because you haven't discussed a new show, it's okay to add it to your list. Good or bad advice, folks? You go first, Woods. Yeah, Woods. (laughs) No, I mean, it's good advice, obviously. (laughs) Again, at first glance, it sounds really ridiculous. I I mean, in general, I thought this topic might be kind of ridiculous. Obviously, it's got a lot of really a lot of motion around it. Um, (laughs) I mean, I think this is really good. I hate when I don't have a designated solo backup show. Yeah. um, And I definitely, as I just said, have made my husband go back and start the show again as a couple um because like oh like that sucked for you that we designated that as a couple show and you went ahead and did that anyway it's like well please rewind um (laughs) but I mean yeah I just think it probably is good to have good clear expectations right probably science would support that that's really beneficial um for relationships clear expectations I think that's yeah Open communication. Jacob, Jacob is not about to make his decision based on science. I can. <laughs> yeah, he is like firmly. Um, this is how I do it in my relationship, and this is the right way. But but no prejudgment, Jacob. Uh, good or bad advice? Uh, well, first of all, like, can we just really get at the sexual India innuendo that is underlying all of these conversations? Right. Pick your solo show. All right. So for Netflix cheating, then you have your solos anyway. Uh, uh, are you suggesting that solo show is pornography? <laughs> I'm not suggesting that. Maybe you are suggesting that. <laughs> Hashtag Outlander. Hashtag porn for women. <laughs> what? I not even laugh as hard as that was. Funny. <laughs> um, so I actually do think this is good advice. I have my own solo shows that I know Chelsea won't be interested in. We don't really have a conversation about that because they're so intellectual. We- <laughs> You're just so much more heady than she is. No, I'm going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> this episode. 
it's because we just like different types of television. She doesn't like Game of Thrones. I like Game of Thrones. She doesn't yeah. like... I don't like incest uh, either. No, it's fine. I, I understand her point. Science <laughs> says that's bad. <laughs> no. Anyway, that's, I think this is good advice. I think it's good to have your own time to do you when you need to. You gotta do you. That's what she said. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, overall, good advice. So, number three, second time alone isn't cheating. So, re-watching the show alone after you've watched it once isn't cheating. I think that's good advice. Like, if you've watched it together, uh, there. this is a difference in our relationship about shows. Chelsea would like to watch the same show over and over again. Once I watch it, I don't want to see it again. So she can, uh, so to me, that is not cheating. Good advice. Good advice. Woods? Yes, good advice. I think the value of the shared television experience is probably more so in the first watch, right? That probably... Um, there is some research to suggest that new experiences in couples is really can be really bonding and enhance relationship satisfaction in the mm. moment, especially. Um, and so probably the second time around is probably not as relationship enhancing if television is ever relationship enhancing, which I would <laughs> argue it is. I think Sarah, it is. Too. Yeah. Isn't there some, uh, sorry, we're kind of going back to the research on this, but mm-hmm. you and I were talking about this one day that there's some research is out of Rochester that had people who were in distressed relationships watch specific movies and then have like a discussion questionnaire. Yes. And that resulted in increased relationship satisfaction, like equal to, and again, these weren't as distressed as distressed couples as like the gotten couples, but improved their relationship satisfaction as some like other relationship enhancement techniques. If I'm yeah. not mistaken. No, I- you're absolutely correct. It was a, it had to be a movie with a, with a, a romance in it where they stayed together in the end. And then there were questions built around that. And the couples had to talk about questions about like the relationships and how and what it was and the good and the bad things about that specific relationship. And they did show improvements. Actually, Christy Gordon and I were writing a grant together. It didn't get funded. Womp womp. That included that as the kind of like a, a, a potential control arm in a randomized control trial. So Ooh, it's there. So don't let's not uh poo poo on the movies y'all movies can uh, enhance your relationship especially so we're if you talk about them afterwards we're obviously not poo pooing it we're obviously all in <laughs> all in on netflix all in on reality all in on outlander all in on shit's creek you name it we're in it <laughs> um so second time alone isn't cheating thumbs up we agree fourth Piece of advice. Watching the first episode of something new is okay, but be sure to discuss it afterward. There are too many new shows on too many streaming streaming services for there to be a reasonable expectation that you'll discuss each one with your partner beforehand. So go ahead and sample it. Just make sure you check in uh, after one episode if you think this is something that you both might watch together. I think this is great advice. Uh... Have you all seen Wild Wild Country on Netflix? No. Oh, so good. Good documentary by the Duplass brothers. Anyway, I watched like the first couple of episodes and I was like, Chelsea, you're going to love this. And then we all, we both watched it together and we both really liked it. And it's really, really crazy. So I think this is good advice. If you find something you like, share it with your partner. Yeah. 
Yes. Yes. Don't keep. Yes. Communicate. Share it. You want to share those experiences. That's right. Similarity breeds liking. Yes, I agree. Good advice. Good advice. We all agree. And last but certainly not least, number five, forgive yourself. You will slip. It's okay. Remember, forgive yourself. What do you think? Uh, I th- well, I think it depends on the previous advice, right? Like if you said, hey, we're going to watch this show together. And then you're like, oh, they're out. Because part of the advice is they're out running errands. Hey, oh, yeah. you're at home on your ass watching Netflix while your partner's <laughs> out doing hard work. There is no, there is no <laughs> Fair point. Yes, 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 yes. No, I think, but like, honestly, I think that trust and intimacy and like commitment are built on little things. So if you had a real conversation with your partner about, hey, this is important to me that we watch this show together and it's, and then you kind of like cheat on that, I don't think that's great. So I would say that if it's something that you really had like maybe those more intense conversations than I think you should have about Netflix, where you said, this is a show we watch together and we don't cheat, then I don't know if slipping up is just like, oh, it's a slip up. I think that could be a so bigger betrayal of trust than you think it is. Yeah, so it's it's somewhat situational. Yeah, I, I, I would say that. I think it's also probably um, mixed advice, meaning it's probably more important that your partner forgives you than <laughs> you forgive yourself. It doesn't sound, based on the description, that we're that worried about forgiving ourselves because <laughs> our own motivations are well known to us. It's probably more important that you ask your partner for forgiveness. <laughs> That's really good advice. Agreed. So this uh, advice five, forgive yourself, we're giving it kind of a thumbs down. Ask for advice and maybe don't put yourself in those situations. Awesome. Well, that does it for us this week. Uh, Thanks for listening to Attached. Remember, call us, email us, tweet at us. Send us a carrier pigeon. I don't know where to, but do it. Send us (laughs) about (laughs) any relationship advice you've received that you're wondering whether to follow or maybe to pass on. We cannot wait to talk about it. Talk to you in two weeks.